Our scripture this morning is Philippians 1, 18 through 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Thank you, Stephanie. Well, good morning. I think I've shared with you in the past that my favorite band of all time is U2. And so for my 50th birthday... Uh, we headed out to San Francisco to see you 2 at Levi Stadium. They're doing a Joshua Tree tour. They're visiting, uh, revisiting 1987 tour of Joshua Tree. So this was a big deal to me because I went to that concert in 87 uh, in Los Angeles. And so we went down to uh, enjoy, and again, I'm a fan and, and just love, love all the music that they've put out. It's very uh, deep and, and profound and just awesome. And so we get to uh, San Francisco, and I wanted to go to Levi Stadium the day before the concert just to kind of get the lay of the land, because I knew it was going to be a big crowd the next day and, and see what's going on. We showed up uh, on Tuesday. The concert was on Wednesday, the 17th of May. And we showed up on Tuesday, and we, we talked to the guards, and we said, hey, what's, where's going to be the lineup for tomorrow? And and he said, oh, there's already a bunch of people uh, already over there, and they're taking numbers. And I'm like, they're taking numbers? What does that mean? So I go over uh, to where he pointed, and sure enough, there is, there's a group of about 20 people. It looks like uh, they, they've just been moving from state to state. Uh, I'm not sure when the last time they bathed was. Uh, but they're there, camped out. They've got their sleeping bags. And there's a woman with a, with a white pad of paper and a pen. And there's a guy with a black marker of ink, a uh, big uh, permanent marker. And I said, what are you guys doing? So, well, we're, uh, we're, we're the head of the line. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, what do you, I heard you're giving out numbers. Yeah, yeah, we're the official uh, number givers uh, for the concert. And I thought this was a big joke or a big scam. Like, who are you? They're stoned out of their minds. I could smell the, the weed, you know, on them. And, and they're the official number takers. But they're fans like you wouldn't believe. And so sure enough, I'm like, well, put, put my name on the list, you know. And so we get our name on the list. And we, they officially mark us with a permanent marker, our number uh, on our hand. And so I guess we're in, you know, to, to wait in line the next day. So we come back the next day. Uh, Pretty early, about about 10 o'clock in the morning. The concert starts at 6:30, and uh, 
we got we got general admission tickets. Again, we're we're fans, you know, and and we're pretty decent fans, and we really wanted to get close up to the stage because this is a big deal. So we uh, we show up the next day, and the line is is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people already, and and uh, I go up to the to the person and say, hey, we were here yesterday, we're number one, you know, whatever, and. Um, she goes, oh, you were supposed to be here at 7 this morning for check-in, you know? I'm like, 7 this morning? For- oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we told everybody. I'm like, I had no idea. I didn't hear you say that. So I go, can we get a number still? Apparently, they really are, they end up being, because nobody else leads, they end up being the leaders of this whole thing. So we, we get our number, we get in line. We're, we're a lot of numbers uh, later. We're like 300 or something like that. And um, so we get in line and we wait, and... And so now begins the process from 10 in the morning till 6 at night of just waiting in the parking lot at Levi Stadium. And you start to get in all these conversations with, with people who are part of this, really this, this, these groupies, these people who just absolutely... I thought I liked you two a lot. No, 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 I'm not even, I'm not even on the radar compared to how these people love you too. And so we ended up sitting... So the first part of the line... Went from 10 till 5, that was in the parking lot. Or no, 10 till 4 was in the parking lot. And then, then you go from that line into the interior line, where then you wait several more hours before you can actually get into the stadium. So as we went into the second part of the stadium, we sat next to uh, number 385. We were 386 and on. Uh, number 385 was a gal named Teresa and her husband, John. And uh, so we're just getting to know Teresa and Johnny. Figure, hey, we're here. We're, let's just talk about life. And so she proceeds. I said, "So you're a big U2 fan?" Oh, we go to all their shows. I'm like, "Oh, really?" No, literally, we go to all their shows, and they they follow U2 around uh, all over the place. And so as I'm talking to Teresa, she's going, "Oh yeah, we're we're a big part of Red. Red's actually a great movement by U2 where they're." They're helping fight AIDS all over, especially in Africa. And we're, uh, we're totally involved in that, and we support that. And we've gone over to Africa, and, and we, just were in, we were just in Vancouver, and then we went to Seattle, and, and uh, we've got all the tickets for the show. And then eventually we're going to end up in Dublin, which is where U2 is from. That's, that's sort of like, that's sort of like the, uh, by being taken up into the clouds with Jesus. You know, you go to Dublin and be with U2 and that thing. But she's telling me this, and so her husband's there too. But they have children. I'm like, so you're traveling around all over the country. Well, yeah, our children, you know, they know when you two goes on tour, uh, this is what we do. This is what we do. We go and, and, uh, and we follow them. And she told me all about Bono's life and The Edge and everybody's life. But her, her final statement to me before we uh, actually started to go into the stadium, she goes, yeah, this, this really is our life. This is our life uh, when U2 goes on tour. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty profound statement. This is our life. And I think Paul would respond to that. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. What is life for you guys? I had to ask myself that question, right, this week as, as I was preparing. What is life for us? Fill in the blank, if you would, just for a second. Life is, to me, blank. What is life for you?
What's it all about? What are you pursuing? There's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasures of life and, and hobbies and things of that nature. But life is what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's pray that God will minister that to us uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Paul, and I thank you for his journey that he brings to us uh, his life in you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that he is an example of what it means to be sold out for you, Jesus. And Father, like we confess this morning as we read together as a body of Christ, Forgive us for not putting you first. Forgive us when we're pursuing other things. Forgive us when our life is is not you, Jesus. We want that. We want you to be center. Help us. Help us to draw close. Help us to, to, through your Spirit, uh, invite you in. Help us to lean into you. Help us to know that you are our God, our Savior, our Lord. Minister to us in profound ways, Jesus. We want to place you first. For to live is you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Paul has been speaking about his joy, his joy in the body of Christ and to the Philippians and And last week we talked about he's rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. And even though he's in chains, the gospel is not chained. The good news of who Jesus is is not chained. And I rejoice because, you know what, even though there's some preaching with false motive, there's some who who have intentions that are against Paul, there's some who are trying to gain popularity while Paul's out of the picture... Even with the false motives, he's like, you know what, that's, that's really of no concern to me. What, what, what I rejoice in is that the gospel is still being preached. Jesus is being made known. People are actually coming to know Jesus, even though these, these men have false motives. And so I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice more, 18 says. For I know that through the prayers, your prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... This will turn out for my deliverance, he says. I love how Paul is so confident in the work of the Lord, in his daily life, and in his journey. That we would have that confidence. That God is ministering with us, through us. That he's walking with us through the journey. I rejoice, because I know through your prayers, the Spirit is filling me up. The gospel is being preached. And I rejoice because I know how this is all going to turn out. It will turn out for my deliverance. Actually, the language there is more salvation. It will turn out for my salvation. He doesn't know if he's going to be freed from this or not. So it could be his physical deliverance because he has no idea. But his spiritual deliverance, his life in Christ. I know that the Lord is going to walk through this with me. He's going to save me through this. He's going to be my strength and my resource and my life. And ultimately, I know the outcome of all this, whether I live or die. I'm saved in Christ. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And I know because God is good, it all will turn out for His perfect purpose. 
I'm confident in these things. In 2 Timothy 4.18, he says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and He will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm confident that this will turn out, and I'll make it through the trial. I rejoice. Why does He rejoice? Because of your prayers for me. Your prayers are giving me confidence. I feel your prayers. Have you ever felt that? I have. When you know that this body of Christ is praying for you, you literally feel it through the Holy Spirit. You know God's presence right in the middle of your trial. That's what He does through the prayer of the saints. It's not some magical, mystical feeling. It's the presence of God right there with you. And you know the saints are praying for you. They're lifting you up in their prayers for you. I feel your prayers. That's the help, the supply of the Holy Spirit. And that's really more what the word is. Because the supply of the Holy Spirit has showed up. Here's the truth. You and I, when we became children of God, when we said yes to Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us. That is true. But here's something that we see throughout life and we see in the scriptures. That there are times when right in the middle of the trial, right in the middle of the journey, the Holy Spirit shows up in a very powerful way. More than just our general receiving of the Spirit, His supply becomes powerful in our time of need. And He fills us up with all that we need for the moment. And Paul is saying that. The Spirit has come, and He's come because of your prayers. Paul really seems to indicate this, and I love this, and it's a great reminder for us. As the saints, as the body of Christ, is praying to the Father and asking the Father to to intervene in Paul's situation in prison, Paul seems to clearly indicate, you know what? I know that you are praying for me, and you're asking the Father for me because I've received the supply of the Spirit. Your prayers have moved the Father to supply the Spirit for me in a way that I just can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your prayers. Paul is always asking for the prayers of the saints. Why? Because he needs them. Because prayer is powerful. Prayer touches the heart of the Father. And the Father hears our prayers. And he responds to our prayers. Don't ever doubt that for a second. Yeah, God knows exactly what we're going to pray. God knows all that's going to happen in the future. Yes. But God responds to the prayer of the saints. And part of the way he responds is by providing the supply of the Spirit needed for the moment. I love that. We see extra supply in Acts. Peter standing before Caiaphas. He healed... Uh, a lame man and a crippled man. And, and so Caiaphas, the high priest, they're accusing him of how dare you heal somebody. And so in Acts 4, 7, it says this, And when they had set uh, him in the midst of them, they inquired, By what power, by what name are you doing this healing? Peter, listen to this, verse 8, 4, 8. Peter 
filled with the Holy Spirit, the supply came, said to them, The name by which I heal is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the cornerstone. They were outraged by this, and their argument kept going on. And basically, they told him, you guys can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they said, well, I'm not sure we can do that. And so later in Acts 4, it says this. Now, Lord, they're praying to the Lord. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness. While you, God, stretch out your hand and heal by signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when the saints, Peter and the guys, had prayed in the place that they were gathered together, it was shaken. And they were filled with the full supply of the Holy Spirit. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Paul says, I praise the Lord because of your prayers and the supply of the Spirit that is coming through. I can't do this journey on my own. I need you. And so they pray. And God provides and fills them full up with the supply he needs to be in prison in Rome and to minister there and to preach the good news. A beautiful connection with prayer and the Spirit. He knows that they are partners with Him in the Gospel, right? Philippians 1.5 You share with me. You are partners in the Gospel. I know that full well. And He's confident it will lead to His salvation, His perfect will. And He's not worried about the decision that's made by Rome. You know, I love, I love who we are as a church family. I love that we're a church that prays. And we really do. I love that about us. We don't just put it to the side. Maybe something we'll get to. But we're a church that prays. There's a whole group that meets here every Saturday, prays for the body, prays for us this morning, prays for Adrian and, and whoever's teaching and the whole worship time that God will be present and His Spirit will pour out. We need that. We don't come up here to put on a performance. We come up here to bring the Word of God to to draw us close in worship to our Lord. We know the enemy's battling against that. And so we have prayer warriors that are doing that. We have, we have prayer warriors that, that are part of a prayer chain. And, and here's something you need to know. If you have a need or you know somebody who has a need, call up the church and say, listen, would you get this on our prayer chain so that the saints can pray for this person? And, and you will have hundreds of people praying for you. I would encourage you to be part of that, too. Come on Saturdays. Be part of the prayer chain. Uh, figure out ways that you can connect with groups and just pray. I love that we've started to send out uh, people to go out with Tim and Jody just, just to pray with them. You know, at first we were like, wait, we're going to send people overseas to our field staff to just pray? We, they could do that from here. Oh, the power of presence and the filling of the Spirit and the relationships that are built. But it's all just prayer. And we've seen how God is is filling up with the supply of the Spirit for Tim and Jody as they minister overseas.
Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? The Father hears your prayers. Hey, I want you to know something, too, about this back room that we built. We, we built it so that it could be a place uh, for children, a cry room on Sunday mornings. Uh, that could be a place, again, where you could bring your children and, and enjoy service, be part of service in a place that's comfortable back there. But the whole rest of the week, after second service and, and the whole rest of the week, that place back there is just meant to be a prayer chapel. So I want to encourage you to just come and pray. Grab someone and say, hey, would you pray for me? And let, let's just meet back there. But let's be a praying people people who draw near to God. How it encouraged Paul that we are a people of prayer and it brought about unity and it brought about joy. And verse 20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's in prison. It's a tough situation. Chained to a Roman guard every four hours. That's rotated out. Going through it, but still finding incredible joy. I eagerly anticipate. My focus is on the hope of Christ. That Christ will be honored in me. I eagerly anticipate. It's actually a really neat word. It's the idea of of, a, of your head, all you know, your head's kind of looking around at all everywhere, and and then all of a sudden, boom, it's fixed. It's fixed, and Paul's saying, "I'm fixed on Christ." It reminded me, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and I'm up with the groom, and we're waiting for the bride. And while we're waiting, the groom is kind of saying hi to his parents and the friends who came, and he's you know sort of acknowledging people who are at the at the wedding. But all of a sudden, the music plays. And the moms stand up. And then, boom, there in the back is his bride. And his head is fixed. I'm looking at nothing else but my bride. Is that what we do with our Savior? Or are we looking everywhere else for life? Straight ahead. Straight ahead, fixed. I am fixed on Jesus. Paul says, I am fixed on him. I want him to be made manifest. I want him to be glorified in my body. And that I will not be ashamed. I want to explain that a little bit to you because when we read that initially, it has an idea or you kind of get the feel that I don't want to be ashamed about the way I'm living life here in prison. And I don't think it's quite that. Ashamed has a unique way of being used in the scriptures uh, many times. And the way that the word is used uh, many times in scriptures is that uh, I won't be disappointed. I won't be disappointed. Why? Because God is God. My God is a powerful God. My God is a God who saves. My King is King of Kings. I won't be disappointed. In his work, in whatever situation I'm in, I won't be disappointed in his power being made manifest. I won't be disappointed that he is going to be glorified in my body. 
Christ will be revealed through me. I won't be disappointed in that. Christ is exalted. Whether I live or I die, I trust in his good plan for my life. Remember Romans 1, 15 and 16? I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And 116 is the one that we know more than, than 15. I am not ashamed. Basically, I will not be disappointed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What Paul has seen and what Paul knows is I am not disappointed. I am not ashamed. There is nothing that holds me back from believing when the gospel goes out, it saves people as they respond to it, as they believe in Jesus. I know I'm not going to be disappointed because this is the way God works. You shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because you won't be disappointed when you share the gospel with people. Don't be worried how people are going to respond or maybe they won't like you. You won't be disappointed when you put out the gospel of Jesus. Whether you're just planting a seed. You know, even when someone's feathers are ruffled, man, it's stirring them up about spiritual things, isn't it? If we really believe what we believe, that life without Christ is separation from Christ forever, then we'll be sharing the gospel of Jesus. Because we want people to be saved. And you and me, we know the power of the resurrection because we've received that. Christ will be exalted in my body. And you and I, we have the opportunity to allow people to see Christ through us. And that's really true. People see Christ in us. He chooses to use us, this messy lot of people, to reflect his glory. Christ is exalted. For me, the greatest verse of all, 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What a wonderful perspective Paul has on life and death. There's a funny illustration of a, of a flower mix-up that happened. There was a bank uh, in Bingingham, uh, New York. And the, flower, uh, the bank was sending uh, some flowers over to a, another bank. It was a competitive, uh, competitor bank. But that bank was moving to a new location. And so just out of courtesy, professional courtesy, the, the other bank sent, sent some flowers over uh, to that bank. But what happened was, is, is uh, the florist made a mistake on the card that was sent. And the, the flowers were sent over to the, to the bank, and uh, it said... Uh, and it was supposed to go over to a funeral, and it said, uh, with, with our deepest sympathy. With our deepest sympathy. And it, it was awful. The florist was so embarrassed. But then the florist realized, oh my goodness, I put the other card on the flowers that went to the funeral service for the gentleman who died. And it said on that card, congratulations on your new location. You know what? I think Paul would have received that card really well. <laughs> exactly. I love my new location. I'm in heaven with Jesus. 
To live is Christ. To die is gain. Everything about my life is Him. To live is Christ. To die is gain. He's single-focused. The only reason that I have life is because of Christ. You can imagine Paul remembering when he's walking on the road to Damascus. He's, He's out to kill Christians. And God turns him upside down. Paul, why, why are you kicking against me? And he gets a hold of Paul's heart, and Paul will never be the same. He becomes a new creation in Christ. Everything about me, Paul knows, is Christ. The only life I have is because of him. He's everything. Everything, every breath I take is because of Him. I've been saved by grace. I'm a sinner washed clean. I'm a child of God. Christ lives in me and I in Him. He is my Savior. He is my King of kings. Everything I am is because of Jesus. I long for eternity with Him. But while on earth I serve Him, I owe Him everything. Is Jesus everything for you and me? It is one of those those great wrestling things for us, isn't it? Or is my life chasing after you too? Is Jesus everything? Every morning you wake up saying, Lord, fill me. Lord, what do you have for me today? Jesus, I need you today. Fill me with your spirit. Father, lead me, direct me. I think we can all honestly say we fail pretty greatly in that area. We get going about our days, and we sort of have Jesus on the side. It wasn't the case for Paul, and I think he's a great example of drawing us closer to that life. Again, we're searching for life. We really want life. We want the joy that comes from that, the hope that comes from that. But it comes when our eyes are fixed we're not looking around everywhere else. All of a sudden, boom! There's our bride. And in Jesus' case, he's the bridegroom. But we're focused. Focused on him. I love some of these other translations. For me to live, living means for Christ, and dying is even better. That's the New Living Translation. In the message, alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I cannot lose. The Phillips translation. For living to me means simply Christ. And if I die, I should merely gain more of him. The language is actually really rough in the Greek. It's this. To live Christ. To live Christ. There is no verb. To live Christ. Matthew 13 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking beautiful pearls, who when he found the one pearl of great price, he went and he sold everything that he had, and he bought that one pearl. Jesus is our pearl of great price. Is that true for you? When Christ is your life, death is not your enemy. 
When Christ is your life, death is not your enemy. That's why we can stand at the graveside with fellow brothers and sisters and say this is only the beginning of the journey. It's painful for us, but it's gain for them. Congratulations on your new location. That really is true. Because Christ is life. It was everything. Paul was so focused on himself as a, as a Pharisee and going after a Christian. Everything was about climbing the ladder to righteousness. It's like God hung this carrot out. Maybe you'll get there. And again, everything was him, him, him. Self-focused. God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. And the next thing you know, Jesus was the center of his universe. That's my prayer for me, and I, I hope it's your prayer for you. Lord, I want to have you more at the center of my universe. I know, I know I don't do that often. And so I really appreciate the scriptures this week. It's to fine-tune us, isn't it, a little bit? To kind of draw us back to what's at the center. Because to live Christ, to die, gain. Galatians 2.20 and this verse in Philippians 1.21 really are Paul's big theme throughout all of his teaching about who he is in Christ. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. What did He do? He loved me and He gave Himself for me. What Paul knew about Jesus is that Jesus loved Paul. Do you know that? About you? Life is Jesus. And he loves me. He was the center for everything. For Paul, death was simply much more of Christ. It was gain. What do we gain by death? You know, we could say, well, we, we get... We get rid of all this trouble that's all around us. You know one of the cool things that, that's going to be pretty sweet that we gain from death? We're going to be reunited with all our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to be a beautiful thing. That's gain. But the biggest gain that he's speaking about is I get to be with my Lord in, in, in full complete... You know, I've been going through this journey of sanctification, of being made righteous, of being fully pure. I'm in process. But when I get into heaven with Jesus, I'm going to be fully righteous. I'm going to have a fully beautiful relationship with my Lord and Savior. Sin is not going to separate me in any way. Amen. Amen. And then I get to do that with all my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to be a good day. It's gain. And Paul speaks very confidently of it. What are you living for? That's the question for all of us. What are we living for? It's been said this way if we're living for other things. For me to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. Impoverished. For me to live is popularity. And to die is to be forgotten. For me to live is health. 
but to die is rotting flesh. For me to live is power, but to die is to lose it all in weakness. For me to live is possessions, and to die is to take none of it with me. What are you living for? For us as followers of Jesus Christ, to live Christ. What does it look like practically for us? It's, it's that we, we live Christ. We live in faith. We have faith in Christ, a recognition that we cannot save ourselves. That God does it all. And if we are in Christ, we are a new creation in Him. The old has passed away and the new has come. To live in Christ means that we have fellowship with Christ. And I don't want you to miss this part. Because so often, as we live in faith, we're like, Oh, I know my word. I know the Bible. And yet we aren't experiencing the koinonia, the the intimacy, the agape love relationship with the person of Jesus. I'm amazed at how many Christians I run into that, that are just so sour. Really, they're sour people. I don't understand it. I really don't. Because when we come into relationship with the living God, the person of Jesus Christ, who's transformed us, and He lives in us, then that means we are a people full of gratitude and joy and life. Why all these frowns? Truly. It makes me wonder. And again, is this what we're reflecting to the world? about life in Christ, we have fellowship with the living God, the person of Jesus. To live Christ means that we follow Him in obedience. We surrender to Him, unto Him. Paul is experiencing all of that, and he's receiving the full supply of the Spirit because of the prayer of the saints. And he's in prison going, hey, either way, it's good. I'm hard-pressed. I'm basically between a rock and a hard place here. Both are good options. Both are good options. For me to stay means more fruitful labor. It means I continue to encourage you in your faith. I continue to, to lift you up, help you hold on to Jesus, help you to know the joy of the Spirit. That's awesome. Honestly, it's better to die because I get to be in the presence of Christ. I'm not suicidal at all. I just want to be with Jesus. That's gain. And I'm pressed. I'm really wrestling. It's like Paul's allowing the Philippians to come in this conversation he's having with himself. This is what I'm wrestling with. But I want you to know that I desire to be with you. And and it's better that I stay. If I was to depart, and that's kind of an interesting word. He was a tent maker, but it's the idea to pull up stakes. If I depart and go, 
I'm pulling up stakes from this earth. Or it has the idea of setting sail. You're pulling up anchor. Beautiful imagery. If I depart, I'm pulling up anchor. And I go to my new place. But it's better to stay. Living for Christ, or life is Christ, means that we're living for others. Let me just read these final verses and I'll close. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this, and I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy and faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to do what? To glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. To live, to live Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I pray that your Spirit would minister this to us. And Father, help us when we fail. Help us to draw close to you. Father, remind us through your Spirit to to turn to you and to have you at the center. We know you meet us there. And so, Father, we, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, desire to be able to say clearly and truly, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.